Uh, So with that, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. I'm going to read this morning uh, the first 11 verses, through halfway through verse 11. Uh, The first 11 verses of John 17 this morning really will be kind of focusing in on verses 1 through 5. So give your attention to the reading of God's Word for His glory and for our edification this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, To all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God endures forever. Uh, The prayer of John 17 is the end of the upper room discourse. Uh, To enter into this prayer between Jesus and the Father is to kind of walk on holy ground. Uh, There is a lot here. One well-known preacher uh, preached 48 sermons on this chapter. Uh, I'm mindful we are not going to do it justice in two or maybe three or maybe four sermons. So, uh, I wanted this morning drill down on one theme. And uh, it's clearly a theme that is on Jesus' mind as he starts praying, and that is the theme of glory. The whole upper room discourse actually began with this idea of glory. Uh, in chapter 13, verses 31 to 32, Jesus begins the upper room discourse with the words, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. And glory is mentioned multiple times in the opening of this prayer, in verse 1, in verse 4, in verse 5. And it's also present in verse 10, and when you look down in verse 24, a lot here about glory. So, uh, when Jesus had spoken, 
uh, these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Uh, Generally, to glorify something means to uh, lift it up to a place of honor. Uh, We are to glorify God. We are to pay God the honor, the worship, the adoration, the respect that is due to him. Uh, So when Jesus says, glorify me, he is asking to be revealed as the one who is worthy of that same honor. Uh, In John's gospel, glorification means something else too, and we've talked about this a couple of times now. It refers to Jesus being lifted up on the cross in his death. Uh, And of course, these two things go together, right? So the reason uh, that Jesus is to be lifted up in honor and praise and adoration uh, is because he was willing to be lifted up on the cross. His glory is being willing to lay aside his glory Uh, And so being lifted up on the cross is sort of like the first step of his being lifted back up to the Father where he will receive the full honor and glory that he deserves. Uh, So if there's any sense in which this prayer, glorify me, sounds a little selfish, Father, make me great, Uh, note what Jesus says right after it, Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Uh, Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus' ultimate goal, Jesus' ultimate purpose, is to glorify the Father. The honor that Jesus seeks is really the honor of the Father. The glory that Jesus manifests in his ministry is really the glory of the Father. So Jesus is not praying here for his own sake. He's not thinking primarily about himself. He's actually thinking about the Father and the Father's glory. Uh, Which is a question we we could and should ask uh, about our own prayers. Who am I really thinking about in this prayer? Uh, In this prayer, am I ultimate or am I instrumental? Uh, Am I the end of this prayer? Give me this thing so that I can have it, enjoy it, whatever. Or am I just a way of God manifesting his glory in the world? And I think if if you get this, Uh, Think about in your prayer, are you the means or the end that will change the way that you pray? So here is what Jesus is praying. Father, help me to honor you in this hard thing that is about to happen. Give me the strength to go through the humiliation of the cross so that you will be honored Enable me to offer that perfect sacrifice of obedience and love so that you are the one who receives glory. So the Son's purpose is to glorify the Father. Uh, That is our purpose, too. Uh, Most of us know the shorter catechism question. uh, What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him Forever, Our lives exist as means to the end of God's glory. Uh, So we live in a culture uh, that increasingly says uh, the goal of life is not 
the glory of God. The goal of life is self-actualization. The ultimate good is not God and God's glory. The ultimate good is individual freedom and self-fulfillment. And before you say, amen, that's the problem with the world and the culture today, I am talking about the church too. Uh, The church often just finds a way to spiritualize what the culture is already doing. Uh, And so increasingly, uh, you will hear things to the effect that uh, it is Jesus who fills out my story. It is Jesus who propels me on my journey. And of course, there's some truth in these statements, uh, but note increasingly the emphasis. The important thing is my happiness and my fulfillment, and my sense of meaning in life, and God is the means for me to get that. Uh, But the chief end of man is not self-fulfillment. It is to worship, enjoy, obey, and glorify God. Uh, So think about this attitude. We've talked about this before, but think about this attitude that is so prevalent in Christian circles now. Uh, I will love you, and I will walk with you if you affirm my cultural, political, pandemic, whatever, sensibilities. Why do people do this? Uh, Because deep down, they want to be right and affirmed in their opinions or their anger or whatever, uh, and so they can't bear to hear other opinions Uh, That, if you understand it, that is a search for glory. It's just a way of saying, glorify me. I need to be glorified. But it's disconnected from the more important part, so that I may glorify you. Glorify me so that I may glorify you. Uh, so the, the goal of life, the highest good in life, the supreme blessing in life, uh, is not self-actualization, it's not fulfillment, it's not happiness. Uh, it is the glory of God, the knowledge of God. Look at verses 2 and 3 here in verse chapter 17. Um, so in verse 2, uh, we read that the disciples, all disciples, are the Father's gift to the Son— The Son's role is to give them eternal life. Uh, But in verse 3, eternal life is not defined the way that people often think about it. Eternal life is not defined as, we get to live forever. Um, You know, what people think about eternal life reveals something about what they think the highest good in life really is. Uh, So, if eternal life to you is endless boating or golfing or free time or something else, that's your highest good, right? Uh, But look at what Jesus says eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Uh, The highest good The way that you glorify God is to share and participate in his life. So Bruner here, I like this, he translates eternal life as deep, lasting life. 
Uh, in other words, eternal life is not just about a quantity, it's really about a quality. Uh, eternal life is life uh, in the age to come, which is a restored relationship between God and the people made possible through Jesus' work, uh, which is why eternal life is something that you can experience here and now, uh, because we can experience that restored relationship between God and his people through Jesus. Uh, And if knowing God through Jesus is not the goal, is not the ultimate goal and purpose of your life, then something else will take that spot and you will just use God as a project for getting the thing that you really want. In this verse, uh, let me just comment on this for a second. In this verse, Jesus refers to the Father as the only true God. It's actually the only place where Jesus uses this phrase. So there's actually a lot of discussion about it. I think sometimes people wonder um, if Jesus refers to the Father as the only true God, does that somehow lessen who Jesus is, that he's not truly God? Uh, And I just want you to note carefully uh, what Jesus says, that eternal life is knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so Jesus includes himself in the definition here of eternal life. So imagine if I said to you this morning, here is deep, lasting, eternal life. To know the Father and David Klein. That sentence does not work. You know it and I know it. Um, Because I am not the revealer of God. And so you can add any creature or created thing that you want. You can add your favorite theologian, internet pastor, action hero. You can add your spouse. You can add your favorite hobby or activity. Uh, It does not work, no matter how important or significant or wonderful that person or activity or thing is, the statement doesn't work. Because knowing God and a created thing cannot be the definition of eternal life. And so Jesus here includes himself in the identity and in the glory of the Father in a way that no creature ever could. Uh, Just an aside here. So the church reflected on passages like this one for several hundred years, and then they wrote some creeds about it, right? Like the Nicene Creed. And then people read the creeds, and then they get bothered that Jesus doesn't talk like the creeds do. Why doesn't Jesus just come out and say, you know, I am truly God of one substance with the Father, on and on and on. Uh, The creeds are concepts that come out of texts like this, but please understand, it's not the way that Jesus talks. Uh, Jesus says, here is eternal life, it's knowing God and me. Uh, And that is a statement about who he really is. It's just not a creedal statement the way that we understand the creeds normally. Uh, By the way, reflect on the fact that Jesus, uh, who is including himself in the definition of eternal life here, is one with the Father, that Jesus himself is praying 
to the Father. That's what John 17 is. Uh, And it's not like Jesus is unsure about what's going to happen. He's constantly told his disciples what would come to pass, that he would be crucified, that he would be killed and resurrected, he would return to the Father. So why would he or we pray for things that we already know are going to happen? Uh, And it's because prayer is not a mechanism, it's not a formula, it's not a duty, it's part of knowing God. It's part of a living relationship with the Father. It's living out life with God in conversation with Him, in communion, in fellowship with Him, and even Jesus, uh, as the Son of the Father, does that. Uh, And as part of that relationship, Jesus now gives the Father the account of His faithfulness in his earthly ministry, I'm coming back to that theme of glory here. Look at verse 4. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Uh, and really, verses 6 to 11 are just expanding here on verse 4 and testifying to Jesus' faithfulness. Uh, Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me. Verse 8, I have given them the words that you gave me. Verse 9, I am praying for the people that you gave me. Verse 11, I am coming back to you, Father, through the cross. Uh, Jesus has glorified uh, the Father. And it's why Jesus does, at the beginning of this chapter, it's why Jesus does what the tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector wouldn't do. Jesus lifts his eyes up to heaven. Uh, He looks up to the Father with the confidence of someone who has rendered to God his due. And that's how he prays. And he says, Father, I have glorified you by finishing the work. And then in verse 5 he says, and now... Glorify me in your presence. And he includes this great statement of his own pre-existence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Uh, Another reason that statement, uh, knowing God and uh, a creature can't ever work uh, as a definition of eternal life. Okay, so we can look at the Lord at prayer We can look at the Lord saying, I have glorified you and now glorify me in your presence. I have done the work that you have given me to do. Uh, And we can say uh, that Jesus glorified God uh, and we have not. That he is faithful in the face of all of our unfaithfulness. And that's true and it's wonderful. And I dwelt on that last week. Uh, and so if you, if you didn't hear it, you can go back to last week's sermon. But I think if that's all we do, we are missing something. Because Jesus says that his faithfulness to the calling that he received has brought the Father glory. And that's true for us as well. When we faithfully attend to the calling that the Lord has given us, whether that's a, a mission a ministry, a vocation, uh, whether it's being a, a parent, a child, a spouse, a student, something else. Faithfulness to our vocation, to our callings, that glorifies the Father. Uh, and we are not Jesus, 
but we should put ourselves in a place to say this kind of thing with Jesus in our own way. Father, I have glorified you by doing the work. Yes, by grace. Yes, trusting you. Yes, with ongoing repentance for the ways that we have sought our own glory. But I have brought you glory in this area of my life. Uh, If you don't think you can or should pray or talk that way, listen to Paul in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Uh, don't, Don't you want to be able to talk to God with that kind of confidence? Uh, This all comes down to the question, what what is your goal in life? What is your purpose in life? Uh, You weren't created to vacation or have money or play or have perfect kids. Those things are blessings, uh, you know, when they come for, for sure. But you are created to kneel before the Father and say, I have brought you glory. I have done the work that you have called me to do. I have glorified you. And all the other things that we think really matter, they don't matter. They really don't matter. Uh, Okay, so one more thought before we kind of wrap this one up. Think about this. Jesus prays, Father, I have accomplished the work. I have glorified you. And then he leaves the upper room and he gets crucified. And his ministry and his life look like a complete failure. He is arrested. His disciples leave him. Uh, He's shamefully put to death like a common criminal. Faithfulness and glorifying God are not the same as success and happy outcomes. Uh, So there are some people who are faithful, and then when everything doesn't work out just like they hoped it would, they become disillusioned, and they say to themselves, I will not do that again, but I will find a way to make it look like I'm doing that again, and I will just live a kind of superficial Christian life where I don't really have to be faithful because it doesn't work. But other people know what it's like to be faithful to God, and even when everything goes wrong, and when everything falls apart, and there is no happy outcome, it cannot steal the joy and the confidence of hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So we each have a work that God is calling us to do. We are not the Messiah, but we are created to glorify God. And we are being conformed more and more to the image of the one who is the glory of God. And we can pray, God, help me to glorify you in what I have to do. 
Help me to glorify you in whatever I have to experience. I want to represent you. I want to manifest your name to others as I do it so that you will get glory. And when the time comes, I want to bow the knee and say, by grace, I have done the work and I have brought you glory. My failings are covered by the blood of Christ, but I sought to glorify you in the work you gave me to do. Amen? Let's pray together.